church is going to meet over to the left here at the Welcome Center. And uh, we invite all of our youngins who want to come to Children's Church, please feel free just to make your way down. Miss Cindy's here by the door to help you. And while they're doing that, I'll invite you to turn in your Bible to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 2 as we pick up where we left off last week, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Good looking bunch right there, amen, amen. Someone once asked me about children making noise in church if that ever offended me, and I said, I just praise God for every noise a kid makes because uh, if you want a future, you've got to have children and uh, they're certainly not a distraction or encumbrance to me. They're, they're why we're here, amen, to show them the way to love God, serve God. But I was thinking as uh, Kate was singing, the first time I remember hearing that song, I was at a conference and my good friend Rick Young, who is pastor up at Watermark Church in Columbus, Ohio, uh, his wife, Wendy, uh, he was on the staff at uh, First Baptist Woodstock, then his middle school pastor, and his wife Wendy sang that song. It really spoke to my heart. And when my girls got older and started wanting to sing, which they were never pressured because they were the preacher's kid and all that kind of stuff, we never did that. Uh, Kate wanted to sing this song, and I thought, boy, what a blessing. And I thought Wendy just did it. I thought she just did an extremely good job. Nobody would ever sing it better, but I'm a little biased. Uh, and uh, Brother Rick wouldn't be mad at me. He'd say, you're right, brother, but God bless you. I told Angie the other day, um, I've never accomplished much and probably won't of the world's standards. I'll never be a great preacher or pastor. I have enough people to remind me that I'm not to do that. But my greatest accomplishment, along with my dear wife, is our two girls. We have to accept what came with them. Uh, but uh, you can always count on me to lighten up a tough moment. Even. But uh, I think about what a blessing they are and have been and uh, how they have suffered through being many illustrations of sermons over the years. Because I could only use my kids because y'all's is perfect and I had to use my imperfect kids. But uh, nevertheless, um, I'm grateful for the opportunity that God gave me to be their daddy. And uh, I don't, I, I guess I took for granted all those years they were with me every Sunday. I won't ever do that again. So today's special to me. Uh, but I tell them both regularly, I said, as girls who are redeemed by the grace of God, both of you in your profession will have the opportunity to touch so many lives. They're as different as they can be, but they love each other intensely. Y'all know how sisters are. I told the boys before they got married, the boys married my girls, I said, listen, they're girls, they're sisters, they gonna disagree about everything. I said, just let them go. I said, and when they tell you my sister just makes me so mad, I could just spit nails. Do not comment, do not offer advice, just let them go. They'll work it out, amen? Any sisters in the house say amen, preacher, that's right. Okay, just checking. My wife had one of those, and I learned real quick, just let them go, right? She still has one. I didn't have it. She has one. Huh? We saw her last night, so not speaking in past tense. But I want to share with you today what God has stirred in my heart as we continue this journey through 
the book of Colossians chapter 2. If you found your place physically able, would you stand with me? So we look at verse 16, and let's read through the end of this second chapter, which gets us just a little halfway through this letter. Here's what the word of God says. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So, it says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the, all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I pray you take this poor, lisping, stammering tongue of this preacher today, and God, may you set my heart, my mind, in my soul on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ and with a word to help your people walk faithfully with you in this world. God, we love you. We thank you for what you've allowed us to be a part of this far. And may the Son of God be glorified through the preaching of the word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you and be seated. Today, as we continue our series on our Supreme Savior, I'm speaking today on living the Spirit-controlled life. See, as Christians, we have many blessings from God that He has given us that we are most thankful for. I believe one of the greatest blessings we have as children of God is freedom from the fact that we no longer live under the law, but now have the wonderful privilege of living under the age of grace. As sinful human beings, we are unable to keep the requirements of the law. It's impossible for us to do so. So Jesus Christ came into the world not to destroy the law, but to fulfill its demands so that you and I would have the opportunity to accept his sacrifice for our sins and have the wonderful privilege to live under the matchless grace of Almighty God. Paul told the church at Galatia in Galatians 5, 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You see, the apostle Paul spent much of his time ministering to the church, and as he ministered to the church, he reminds us uh, not to fall into false doctrine which could be damaging to the cause of Christ. What was taking place in the first century in Colossae is still taking place in the 21st century in God blessed America even today. There were false teachers at Colossae and they were trying to bring 
Christians under the bondage of some type of human regulation. We talked about the circumcision last week, but what Paul was doing is he was warning them to look past the surface of these false teachers who may appear to be spiritual but are very carnal, fleshly, and worldly. See, even though some of these things and some of the people may appear to be spiritual, real spiritual life is not a matter of how we appear to the outward ordinances of man, but it is a matter of whether or not we have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only way to be a spiritual man or woman in this world is to have a relationship with the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. See, when you have a real relationship with Christ, you will demonstrate some things. You will demonstrate a heart commitment to him and it will display itself through a loving union with the Son of God. Amen? I really believe that. You see, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ was under constant attack in the city of Colossae. That's why Paul wrote this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to declare the preeminence of Christ in all things. False teachers today and false philosophy has infiltrated the church, and I want you to know many are using it as some sort of what we call a necessary supplement to the Word of God. Friend, I want you to know today there are no necessary supplements to the Word of God. The Word of God is fully inspired. It is God-breathed. It is without error. It is the Word that teaches us the only way of salvation. It is the only book that God ever wrote, and it is the only book that can tell a man, woman, or boy, or girl how to prepare for eternity and not just this life only. See, God has placed pastors in the churches today and other church leaders to be the ones who are responsible for warning the church against any type of infiltration of false doctrine. However, quite often, it is those leaders who are the ones who practice the errors of false doctrine. The easiest way for false doctrine to enter a church is through the pulpit. Amen? If the devil can't take it through the pulpit, he'll find some other avenue. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that's why staying true to the true, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God is at the very heart of what I do. Now, I want you to hear my heart for you today. The day I came here as your pastor almost six years ago, I made a commitment to you to be faithful to teach and preach the Word of God that I would do so without fear, favor, or compromise. And I want you to know today that commitment stands as true today. It burns in my heart just like it did years ago. And I pray that God would keep the fire hot in my heart and soul. I would do my part and you'd pray for me and do your part so that we can stay true to the Word of God. Galatians 4.19, Paul said this, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I want you to know that's my heart for you today, is that I would labor in the Word of God, and I would labor among the people of God so that Christ would be formed in you, and you would represent, you would reflect and demonstrate the love of God everywhere you go. That is the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. It was the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the heartbeat of this preacher as I stand before you today. Amen? I want you to hear me. 
you and I every day must make a definite decision of who or what will be the controlling force in our lives. You say, well, I made that decision the day I was born again, the day I repented of my sins and got saved. That's wonderful. But friend, I want you to know there is still a war and a battle going on, not for your salvation if it's secure in Jesus, but for your testimony and the effect of your life in this world today. You must make a decision every day of who or what will be the controlling force. Will it be popular opinion? Will it be public approval? Or will it be the applause of heaven? I choose the applause of heaven. See, if we're to faithfully live the spirit-controlled life, we must have a total and complete confidence in Christ alone for our eternal salvation. And we must also be sincerely aware of the attempts of false teachers to try to intimidate true believers. And I want to point out a few things today. To be real simple today, not a whole lot on the screen, but just some real principles that I believe can help you make the right decision to live the spirit-controlled life. The first thing I want you to notice is Paul talks to us about the landmines of legalism. I read a book years ago by uh, um, Charles Stanley called Landmines in the Path of a Believer. Some of you may have read it. I hope you have. If you hadn't, I recommend it to you because Charles Stanley talks about these landmines that Satan puts in our path to try to get in our way and destroy our testimony. Have you ever met someone who professed to know Christ but seemed as though they were just constantly miserable? <laughs> Have you ever met a professing Christian who was only concerned about keeping all the rules without demonstrating the love of Christ to a hurting world? I bet we've met both. If so, you probably were in the presence of a person who had fallen victim to the landmines of legalism. Now, I put this on the screen for you, and there's three things I want to explain to you what legalism is. Legalism, number one, is a list of rules without any relationship. I know a lot of people who are trying to keep the rules, but it's void of a relationship with the Son of God. Friend, I want you to hear me. That is a real danger in legalism. Here's the second thing legalism is. is conformity to rules without showing Christ-like compassion. Conformity to the rules without showing Christ-like compassion. Uh, kind of like this church I might have told you about. I preached a revival in it once, and after service one night, the pastor was just sweating because I had a shirt on that had some color in it. It might have been a, you know, it might have been pink. I don't know. I'm confident in who I am, amen, right? But you know, the little tag, it said salmon. Marty, salmon. Salmon looks a little pink. No, but anyhow, it might have been. And the pastor was sweating. He said, gosh, I wish you would have told me you was going to wear that colored shirt. I said, well, is there some problem? He said, if I'd wore that shirt in the pulpit on Sunday, the deacons would have pulled me out of the pulpit because I can only wear white shirts. He says, uh, if this was your church, what would you do? Don't ask me that. <laughs> he said, I'm serious, what would you do? And I said, I'd go down to Sears and Roebuck and I'd get me the polka dottedest multicolored shirt I could find and I'd wear it with every sport coat I had whether it matched or not. <laughs> Amen. 
He said, no, I probably don't need to do that. I said, no, I wouldn't recommend you do that. But I'm just saying you asked me what I would do. But I'm thinking, conformity to the rules without showing Christ-like compassion? Nobody said, preacher, what we're praying for is that you get full of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and you go glorify the Son of God from the pulpit today that people will be drawn to love Him and serve Him with all their hearts. Nobody's... When you just conform to some kind of list of man-made rules and you don't show the Christ-like compassion of the Word of God, legalism has got you bound up. There's a third thing legalism is, and this is it. It's uniformity without true Christian unity. You got to look like us. You got to walk like us. You got to talk like us. You got to do what we do. You got to say God, and it's got to be three syllables. Yeah, right? You got to end every word with E-T-H. You got to speak the king's English. Walk around here all week talking like a redneck and get caught on to pray. You say, oh, thou heavenly father is how we bless the bereavest. You don't talk like that. (laughs) God help us. But for some reason, we've gotten bound in legalism to the point where our churches are devoid of the compassion of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't just show up when we leave here. Sometimes it even shows up while we're here. Talked with a man the other day. He doesn't go to this church, goes to another church. And he was talking about his church, and he told me all the people he didn't like there. Don't speak to him speak to him either he was kind of proud of himself and I said you know what I said to him Keith I said I'm so sorry I said I, I said that's sad you know I told him that was sad sorry I, told him, I said sorry that's sad because that's got to be a bad way to go to church ain't it I don't know about y'all but I love y'all I'm going to and, and I want to talk to you and I, and I want to invest in you and I want to influence your life for God and for good and I can't do that if I'm mad at you won't talk to you amen this guy was real proud of all the people he didn't speak to at his church you know what he said I'm just there because the preacher's there and whenever that preacher retires leaves he said I'm out of there but what he needs to go now he's a cancer that is right preacher that's the truth God help us. I've met pastors and preachers who think the harder they stand or the meaner they look or the uglier they talk to people, the more godly they are. And that's just not true. In fact, what's happened is that preacher has stepped on the landmine of legalism. I want you to hear my heart today. I am a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not of my own but because of a high and holy calling that came from heaven. I have deep convictions in my heart has been set on fire by the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it any other way, but I want you to hear me. My intent today is not to see how hard or mean I can be. My intent today and every time I stand behind this pulpit is to declare the word of God and the power of the spirit of God that you might be changed for the glory of God. Amen? That's my heart. 
I, I never want to come across as being mean-spirited. I, I'm deeply concerned for your spiritual condition. I, I want you to know my convictions are real and I'm not going to compromise them for anybody. But I do so because I'm very concerned about your spiritual condition. And you know what that concern does? It makes me literally willing to pull in, reach in the fire and pull you out if you're struggling. Amen? Didn't y'all hear, you read Jude, Marty? Tell me you read Jude, please. All right, okay. 25 verses, it ain't that long, I promise you. Even an ADD person can stay steady for that long, okay? 25 verses, one chapter. You know what he's saying? He said, sometimes you gotta be willing to reach in the fire and pull them out. In my early years of ministry, I was deeply affected by the dangers of legalism. But I want to say to you, by the grace of God, I've been greatly liberated. <laughs> and because I've been liberated, I'm enjoying the freedom that comes from a love relationship with the Son of God. Times I mess up, I don't get it right. I bet you don't either. But thank God he don't kick me out of the family just because I don't always get it right. He loves me. He loves you. He wants to take care of us. He wants to have a love relationship with us. And I want to see you enjoying Jesus. And if you can't, if you're bound with legalism. Wise preacher once said, rules without relationship leads to rebellion, doesn't it? I believe that. I've seen that in families. I've seen that in churches. It's everywhere. John MacArthur said this. He said, legalism is a religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based on Christ plus human works. It makes conformity to man-made rules the measure of spirituality. Believers, however, are complete in Christ, which has provided complete salvation, forgiveness, and victory. Legalism is useless because it cannot restrain the flesh. It is also dangerously deceptive because inwardly rebellious and disobedient Christians, even non-Christians, can conform to a set of external performance standards. You can try to conform from the outside in, but a relationship with God is how he has transformed you from the inside out. We've got too many folks trying to conform to a set of rules instead of being transformed by the Spirit of God. There may be some of you here today in this house, you think you belong to Christ because you've kept all the rules. You may be outwardly conforming to the rules, but the question is, do you have a real relationship with the Son of God? You know if your heart, and you're in your heart today, whether or if you were to die today, you know whether or not you would spend eternity with God. Some of you here in this room today, you know if you drew your last breath today, you'd spend eternity separated from God forever because you've got too much pride to just surrender to Jesus. But I want you to hear me. Pride and the fear of man can keep you from surrendering to Christ, and you'll have all of eternity to think about the biggest mistake you ever made. Friend, I want you to know you can memorize scripture as important as that is. You can put on some fine Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. You may have a big red letter King James Schofield Bible up under your arm. You may be a whiz at Bible trivia and have a heart that is cold as ice. 
you're not careful, you can literally allow legalism to cause you to miss a relationship with Jesus Christ. What was the effects in Colossae and how does that correlate to today? Paul was warning the Colossian believers not to accept that Christ alone was insufficient for their salvation. That's what they were being told. He's not enough. The false teachers were spreading a doctrine of the need to keep some Jewish ceremonial laws, keep a special diet, honor some special days. The special diet was referring to what was given to them in Leviticus chapter 11. And that passage categorized certain foods as clean and unclean. But when Jesus came, not only did he come to bring eternal salvation, he abolished all those silly dietary laws. That's why we can eat bacon. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. I used to have this insurance guy come by. I was in Georgia, sold church insurance. He always wanted us to sell church insurance. And, and he was of a denomination that didn't eat pork. And I told him, I said, I'll listen to your insurance pitch that you want to give me if we can go down there to the biscuit place and I can get you a tenderloin, egg and cheese, and I'll listen to whatever you got to say. Because why he gave me that, I was going to give him the gospel, but he never would eat my tenderloin, egg, and cheese. I, he was keeping all the rules. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8 says, The food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat we are worse. Paul also warned them not to be condemned by the, the uh, false teachers in Colossae concerning the special days on the calendar. The Jews had some special feasts in the Old Testament, Leviticus 25. They had a new moon celebration we read about in Isaiah 113. Their Sabbaths, Exodus 29 through 11. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of them. We no longer worship on the Sabbath, we worship on the Lord's day. The first day of the week, according to Revelation 1.10, 1 Corinthians 16.2, Acts 20.70, and the day also which is the day that commemorates the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, according to John 20. Why do we worship on the Lord's day? Because we find it in the word of God. Verse 17 says this, that these things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Oh, this is good, church. All the dietary laws that they kept, all the special days of the Old Testament were merely a shadow. The real thing had now come in Jesus Christ. He became the substance that fulfilled all the shadows of the Old Testament. Romans 8, 3 says this, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin the landmine of legalism. Let's move to a second thing. He not only talked about the landmine of legalism, but he also talked about the missiles of mysticism. <laughs> legalism, mysticism, we'll also end up by talking about asceticism in a minute, but notice this. What is mysticism, preacher? Well, it's defined as the pursuit of a deeper or higher subjective religious experience. It is the belief that spiritual reality is perceived apart from human intellect and your natural senses. 
It looks for truth internally and it finds its authority from a self-authenticated light rising from in oneself. You know those people like say, your light is within you, you do this, you make it happen. Mystics. See the mystics of Colossae, here's what they did. They hid behind a curtain. And the curtain that they hid behind was the curtain of false humility. They pretended to be humble, but they were of all men most prideful. They would teach that believers were not good enough to go directly to God on their own, so they thought that they needed the help of angels in order to get acceptance into the presence of God. They were worshiping angels and denying the truth of God's word. Well, 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 takes care of that. Where Paul says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear me today. Angels are real. They are created beings, created by God for the purpose of God. But the Bible forbids the worship of angels. Amen. The angels themselves, they worship God just like we should. The false teachers in Colossae were also claiming to see some things they hadn't seen. Y'all ever seen those guys? I mean, sometimes on TV, we hear people in the name of Christ even say they saw stuff they didn't see, say they heard stuff they didn't hear. The result was an inflated ego of a super spiritual person and they were intimidating true believers in the church at Colossae. The church at Colossae was intimidated and Paul warned them, don't you be intimidated by these false mystics. You ever been intimidated before? Somebody besides me say yes. Okay, good. Okay, just help me out now, church. I'll make sure you're still with me. It's 1054. We just got a few more minutes, all right? When I was a younger preacher, I was intimidated by older preachers. Right, you know what I'm talking about. They'd come in, they'd have their little hanky. I mean, they'd have, they'd have these Armani suits. I don't know if they were Armani, but they looked pretty sharp. They have these little hankies that match their tie and Cumberbund, I don't know if I had one of them. Anyhow, it's just all fancy, you know. And I never owned a sport coat until the night before I was ordained to ministry. And you know who bought me my very first sport coat? My wife. Never had one. And I used to be intimidated by the way they could dress and the way they could speak and all of their oratory skills, you know. I'd be so intimidated. And, and, and I would feel horrible. Well, they weren't doing anything to try and intimidate me, I don't think. It's just, I was just allowing that. And then if you're not careful, though, that bleeds over into the world because the world will challenge your message if you're not silent about it. And sometimes you'll be intimidated because you'll be like, well, I guess they know the Bible better than me. And you say, well, I don't always under, understand it. Look here, obey the parts you do understand. <laughs> don't be intimidated. Get in the word of God. Know the word of God so that you can stand firm on it because I'm promising you it's the only foundation you can build your spiritual life on that will ever stand. 
Paul said what you got to do is for those who intimidate these mystics, you got to watch out for them because here's what he said in the text. They have a fleshly mind and they are not filled with the Holy Spirit and compelled by the head, which is Jesus Christ. He said, look here, let me just tell you in layman's terms. These boys don't have what you've got. They don't have who you've got. They have a false sense of humility. They're denying Jesus Christ, but you have within you the spirit that raised him from the dead. God help us, boy. No, don't do that. But what happened was these mystics did not realize that Christ is the one who nourishes the body. He's the one who knits us together. He's the one who grows us in grace because spiritual growth comes from our union with Christ I think God allows us to have experiences, but it's the union with Christ and the indwelling of God that helps us. Always beware of those who base their salvation on experience without a testimony of a changed life. Be wary of those who say, I started going to church and doing better. Be wary of those who give a testimony that does not include an encounter with Jesus Christ. Because without an encounter with Jesus Christ, you will not live a transformed life. The missiles of mysticism. Finally, I want you to notice with me today in verses 20 and following the artillery of asceticism. Asceticism, you say, wait a minute, now I know I got, I got a little clearer look on what mysticism is, pretty clear on what legalism is, but what about this asceticism, all these isms? Well, asceticism is the practice of living a life of rigorous self-denial. The church has often been intimidated for centuries by those who advocated poverty as a means of spirituality. Can I say this to you? Being wealthy is not a sin. How you acquire wealth could be a sin and what you do with wealth could be a sin but just being wealthy in and of itself is not a sin. If you love your wealth, then it's a sin. If you worship wealth, it is a sin. If all you chase after is worldly wealth, then it can become a sin. But it's not wrong to be wealthy. How do I know that? God used some men in Scripture who were extremely wealthy. Y'all ever heard about a dude named Abraham? He had it going on like Donkey Kong. Amen? I mean, he had all, and you know what? God said, I want you to pack up, take all this stuff, and I'm going to send you out somewhere. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going, but will you follow me? He goes home and says, hey, baby, we're moving. Well, we ain't talked about this. Well, you know what? We're moving. Why? Because God said so. Well, God, what's he got to do with this? Well, he's got everything to do with it, baby. We're going. Well, where's God sending us? I don't know. Y'all know how that would feel if y'all went home and shared that news this afternoon, right? I don't know. We're just going to go. God used him. And you know what? He took a man who had no children. Well past childbearing age, him and his wife both. And God took a man and made him the father of a multitude. 
Oh, Abraham was wealthy. There was also a man named Job who was pretty wealthy too. He lost it all, got it all back. But I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear me. God used him. There was a man named Solomon, the wisest man apart from Jesus ever lived in the scriptures. I'll tell you what, God used them. They were wealthy and he used that for his glory. So it's not a sin to be wealthy. But asceticism might make a person appear to be spiritual, but their emphasis on humility and poverty but it serves only to gratify the flesh. Here's what they would say. They see God begin to bless the church and it grows. They say, I'll tell you what, the only reason growing's are up there compromising the word of God. You ever heard that? The reason that church is big because a bunch of compromisers. Preacher probably ain't preaching the Bible. Probably got some of that contemporary praise and worship music in there. I'll tell you why. And then there's others that would say they're sold out or whatever. That's a reason. Some might say, you know what? And I've heard this a lot. And I've preached in, I've preached from everywhere from New Hope to No Hope to Ebenezer Number Nine in my journey. And I've heard them say this, right? We might be small in number, but we're strong in spirit. <laughs> I've heard it. We're the friendliest church in town. Y'all heard that? We're just small, but we're the friendliest, warmest church in town. I'm like, well, if y'all are so friendly, why aren't more people coming to be friendly with you? Amen? I'll get that in a little bit. But I'm like, goodness gracious, why do we make so many excuses and why do we try to say the reason we're suffering in self-denial is because uh, of our spiritualness. We're so spiritual. Here's what Paul said. He said, we must graduate from the elementary principles of this world system of religion. Need to get your diploma. Amen. Move on. Don't live in the first grade of spirituality for the rest of your existence. Grow. See, when we do so, we live a focused life on Christ that will enable us to lead others to the freedom we found in our relationship with him. Man, I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing like being free in Jesus. There's nothing like being free from the bondage of guilt and sin. And there's nothing like for the child of God to be free from the landmines of legalism, the missiles of mysticism, and the artillery of asceticism. There's nothing like being free in Jesus Christ. You know, we can fall to legalism. We can get self-righteous and we can live a life devoid of joy and peace. We can fall into mysticism and we can develop a proud spirit which contributes nothing to the worship of a true and living God. We can get into asceticism and think that by doing so we become more holy only to be guilty of feeding the appetite of our flesh. I love what R. Kent Hughes said. He said the answer to legalism is the continual realization of the grace of Christ. That's good right there, brother. That's good, ain't it, Joseph? Mark, that's pretty awesome, ain't it? Listen, the answer to legalism is the continual realization of the grace of Christ. The answer to mysticism is the understanding of how profoundly we are related to Christ. And the answer to asceticism is the reckoning that we have died, been buried, and are resurrected with Christ. 
The answer is where it all began, at the foot of the cross. A few years ago, it's been longer than I think now, I was thinking about it this week, Angie and I were at a pastor's conference, and I was there, conference led by one of my heroes, Pastor Johnny, who's, he's probably invested and affected my preaching ministry from a distance as much as anybody that I've ever been around. And we were there and his sweet ministry assistant, Miss Ruth Blakeney, for 25 years or so before she retired and then he went on to now. She uh, had found out that her son-in-law was a good friend of mine, Brother Eddie Rhodes, who's pastor up at, uh, in Jasper, Georgia now. Eddie was campus pastor of where I went to got my first degree at. And um, his, his wife was Miss Ruth's daughter, Miss Missy. Eddie and Missy, some of the sweetest people. Miss Ruth, Mr. Dennis, some of the kindest people you'll ever meet. And she came by and said, hey, at dinner tonight, would y'all like to sit up at the table with Pastor Johnny and Miss Janet? You know what, at first, Brother Bobby, I just felt so inadequate. I felt like, no, no, you don't want to talk to me. I'm just old nobody from Cleveland County, Alabama. And that's okay, I'm all right with it. And she said, no, I'd like for y'all to be my, our guests I've told him today that, that, that uh, you're, you're, Eddie's your campus pastor and all that. I said, well, Miss Ruth, we'd be honored, but, you know, I, I just don't know that I was worthy. She said, come on. So we went up to the table and we sat down. And y'all won't believe what we had for supper that night. Pork. <laughs> now, the year before, we had chicken, and I, I'm just not, I'm not a, I, I, I'm not schooled in all these etiquettes and cotillion and all these fancy words. I don't even know if cotillion's the right word. Had some kid went to that thing. They taught him how to put his fork and stuff. I just thank God I had a fork, amen? <laughs> and the year before, I cut into my chicken and stuff started coming out of it. And I didn't know no better. Nathan, you know what I'm saying? I said, hey, somebody forgot to gut this thing before they put it on the ground. <laughs> fast forward to the next year that was an ADD moment I, so the next year they take us in and usher us right up to the front table I'm sitting there with the president of the Southern Baptist Convention little old man we was eating pork we were kicking conversation and all that kind of stuff and as I sat there I, I, thank, I thanked God and I thanked Miss Ruth and I thanked Pastor Johnny and I thanked Miss Janet for allowing us to share the meal with them and there was another couple or two that we met we didn't know and then I couldn't help but think one day I'm going to sit down at the table with my greatest hero oh one day I'm going to sit down at the table with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb And the bridegroom is going to be united with his bride. That's us, the church. You know, I thought, I was real nervous sitting there with Pastor John and Miss Jenny. Y'all, I didn't even talk much. Y'all thinking something really wrong, that boy. But I thought, you know, Lord, when I sit down at the table with you, I'll have a glorified body. I'll weigh 175 pounds again. 
I won't have any wrinkles. I might get a full head of hair back. I'll get my abs back from my flab, and flab will go back to ab. I said, but God, I won't be nervous when I sit down at the table with you because we'll be in glory. And I got to thinking about everybody I wanted at the table with me. And I thought about my loved ones that are already there who, who will be there when I get there. And I thought about my girls were little, and I said, I'm like Adrian. You know, people say you can't take nothing to heaven. We, I'm taking my youngins, amen. They're going to heaven. <laughs> and I thought about our family, and I thought about the people that we've been privileged to serve all these years. And I thought about those precious souls last Sunday out the door this big guy comes by and hugs me and I didn't recognize him because he had hair the last time I seen him and I looked at him and I said Quentin and he hugged me on I said Quentin what are you doing in heaven and he said I, I came to see you you say why is that important boys you baseball boys know I talked to you about relationships the other day here's a good one when Quentin was a young boy just out of school I'd been the pastor of his church 10 days and we lost a 16 year old girl in a car accident and I was 27 years old it blew, it, it, I didn't know how to help lead a church through that kind of pain and I'm not sure what a job I did but I tried and I remember at that funeral there were kids standing around the walls and everywhere that church, there were people on the porch, outside, in an overflow room over here and there. And after that funeral service, and after the graveside service, I came back to the church. And I came in the church, and it was kind of dark. One little light was on down front. And in that altar was Quentin. You know who was with him in the altar? The daddy who had just buried his 16-year-old daughter. Old Rodney was there with Quentin. And you know what Rodney was doing on the day he buried his 16-year-old daughter? He was leading Quentin to faith in Jesus Christ. Golly. I will never forget what it looked as I looked down that church and I saw Quentin with tears streaming down his face and Rodney sharing with him and Rodney praying with him and Rodney leading him to Jesus. And I'll never forget the next week, oh, Quentin, he's a big old boy. He's one of them I had to bow up to baptize. But I'm telling you, when he went, I mean, he was totally humble and committed. And I tell you that to tell you sometimes, Alan, God just brings people back around and just comes up to you and says, Why? I came to see you. And it wasn't important for me about that, but here's what I thought as I went home. Someday you're going to see him, Quinn. And I'm going to see him. And it's going to be because of Jesus Christ and the ability to live the spirit-filled and controlled life. A few years later, Quentin called me and said, Preach, 
He'd moved off, got him a job somewhere. He said, uh, hey, I want to get married. I said, why you want to do that for? <laughs> I went up to Aragon, Georgia and did his wedding. A few years later, I was in a Walmart in East Rome, Georgia, getting some bread, and he's a bread man. Next Sunday, I looked out the congregation out there in Rome. There was old Quentin. He, he just follows me everywhere I go. That's good. I tell you that to tell you this. Michael English wrote this song years ago. Made it very popular. It's called In Christ Alone. And here's what it said. In Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, like Quentin and many others through the years, in every victory, let it be said of me that my source of strength, my source of hope is in Christ alone. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word today. Thank you for giving us the grace that is so necessary to even stand and open and read and explain the words from your book. Father, right here, right now, there's somebody like Quentin. There's somebody that doesn't know they'd go to heaven if they died today. Old Quentin, he came face to face with the reality of his own mortality. He knew that if his precious friend so young could be taken and thank God she loved you and she's been with you since that day in 1998. He knew that his day would come too and the Spirit of God convicted him of his sin and placed her daddy Rodney, my dear buddy, right there. And instead of blaming you, he blessed you the saddest day of his life he was still leading people to faith in you how that encourages me today Lord I can only can only tell you what it means there's somebody here today like quit they're not sure they go to heaven if they die but today you brought them to this place you put them in the path of this gospel preacher who's read your word God, it's your word that draws people. Your word and your spirit working in units draw people. It's not me, it's you. But God, you put us here today to help people. There's somebody here today like Quentin needs to be saved. God, I pray on the very first word, the very first verse, they'd step into that nearest aisle. And they'd come forward, they'd give us the opportunity to pray with them and help them leave here a born-again child of God. God, for your church, are we walking around stepping on the landmines of legalism? Are we falling, victory to all, falling victim to all of these things, the mysticism, asceticism, all these things that are present in our world that are anything but you and your word? God, maybe there's some of your children today that just need to come get in an altar and say, oh God, keep me close, keep me clean keep me unspotted from this world keep me right with you 
so that I can help others. Father, I know not what all needs are among this congregation, but I trust you do. And I pray people will be obedient to your still, small voice and that today, sons and daughters would be one to the kingdom of God. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet. Just a moment, Marty's going to lead us. And when he does, I want you to hear me. If God has spoken to your heart today, please don't delay. By your coming today and giving your life to Jesus, it's not what it does for me, it's what it'll do for you. By you coming today as a child of God and just getting before the Lord and saying, God, I want to see you stir this land. And the way you're going to stir this land is by stirring this man. And I just pray you just submit yourself completely to the Lordship of Jesus. And let's pray that the fire of God would fall today and continue to fall. And see lives change right here, right now. Please, if God is dealing with you, hear me. Please don't turn him away. Come to Jesus. Come even now. Marty, lead us when you're ready. Let's make this our prayer. This Come morning. to Jesus. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh me. 
sing that you are the potter together. Let's sing this with all of our heart, church. You are the I'm just going to mention a couple of quick things. I used to do this a long time ago, and I like doing it better. Just a few announcements at the end, make it real quick. We don't take a lot of worship time for it. But just pay close attention to your uh, announcements that are coming up. There's some important stuff about Easter, uh, choir stuff, the Bible reading marathon, the Engage Missions Conference, several things, VBS. Already got some good stuff going. If you have, if you had turned in anything for uh, the Utah trip today, tomorrow, 15th, Tuesday is our final day when we're going to get everything finalized. So if you are still working on that, please make sure you get that and the deposit in by the 15th. It's not in the bulletin, but make sure you don't forget that. Uh, just coming up, you know, Easter the 17th of a year before we know it, the, the schedule for the day is there. And then the week after with our folks from Utah will be here. We're excited about that. Sign up for the Bible reading if you haven't. Please do. It's a great, great testimony. It's a way to influence and impact our community by showing we believe that the Word of God is true. Amen. And it's reliable and it's God's Word. So anyhow, just if you have any questions about any of those announcements, there'll be people to back, people at the Welcome Center. I'll be there too to help you in any way. So as we give today, let's give from our hearts. Boy, God's been good to us, hasn't he? You know, two years ago, I'm glad God didn't tell us we had two years of this stuff, ain't you? I'm really glad he didn't because we would have really been, but he has taken us each step. He's been faithful. He's provided. He's used you. He's used me. He's used so many people to just continue to be faithful, to invest in the ministry of this local church. It's touching lives. Every day, every week, every month, every year, God's using us. So as you give today, you give from your heart, trusting that God's going to use it for his glory. Let's join our hearts together and ask for blessings on God's giving.
thought for a minute it's going to be like Jerry Lee Lewis is blaze up, you know, set on for great balls of fire. Amen. Hey, before we dismiss today, don't forget, notice too on our announcements, put the screen back up there, Miss Tina, about our uh, RC. Folks, look here, new ministry right here. And, and Tim Perry came with this uh, uh, idea. He is a RC drone enthusiast. Is that fair, Tim? Okay, good. We'll make sure I don't mischaracterize you. Enthusiast is a good word. As enthusiasm for that. And I've always believed this. Whatever your passion is, use it for his purpose. I say, if you're a fisherman, take an old boy out there that don't know Jesus on a boat way out yonder and way down somewhere, and you got him for eight hours, right? And uh, and just, uh, but no, uh, and, and he enjoys this kind of good stuff. And the drone things, I'd love to learn to fly one. But I'm afraid what I'll crash it into. I might be a threat to national security, but uh, I don't know if I'm a bigger threat than what we got going on. But anyhow, but. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, that's two weeks from today at 3 o'clock. Like, he's got all kinds of stuff. You say, well, I don't have a remote control drone. You don't have to have one. Tim's going to be here with all that, and he's going uh, to have a lot of fun, uh, Bible study, and probably get a Coca-Cola out of it. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, if you enjoy stuff like that, please do, especially young guys, young guys that like it, young guys, and some of you young older guys like Keith Raisin. I mean, you know, you probably enjoy that. But nevertheless, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. So whatever your passion is, remember that. Whatever you got a passion for, let God use it for his purpose. If you're a golfer, take people golfing. And for 18 holes, just be God's man. Amen. And so uh, I think that's good stuff. So just wanted to make sure I mentioned that because I didn't, that we got it on the screen, but we'll be in your bulletin next week too, though. But hey, today I want you to have a great afternoon. Wednesday night, 6 o'clock for everybody, children, students, and adults. We'd love to see you. Wednesday night I was greatly encouraged. I didn't know if somebody had a call conference to run the preacher off. Wednesday, we had so many people came on Wednesday night. <laughs> see, I used to live in a pastorium. One Wednesday night conference away from being jobless and homeless. I've lived on the edge, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, so, now, so I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it was great to see some. So come on Wednesday night. They've seen some good stuff, and, and, and we share from God's Word. We share prayer requests. We pray one for another and trust God to do some great things. But don't forget today, when you leave, to know that God loves you, I love you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen? Let's stand together. Martin's going to sing us out.